Will you cut me loose? Yes. Thank you for your help. Grogu, I'm gonna need you to be brave for me, okay? We can't keep running. If we don't take out Moff Gideon, this will never end. Are you with me? again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar. Welcome to the 203rd Merry Marching Mandalorian Society approved episode of Mandovision, Nargai Tom. And thank you so much for checking out our small independent Star Wars podcast. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to Buckethead Nation. Remember to reach out to us on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all. The Mandalorians in your covert. All right, my friends, it is here. Today is the day. The season three finale of The Mandalorian has dropped. And I'm just going to say it. I really enjoyed this episode. I had a blast. I thought it brought together a lot of the elements that we talked about, uh, not only in season three, but also some stuff from back in season ones and two. One, ones and two. Look at that. We're off to a fiery start here. But... Uh, again, a really strong episode, action dominant, and 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 like top tier action as well. They really did just a bang up job. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa directed the holy heck out of this one. The action's top notch. It's very very entertaining episode. It's fast paced. It's got a lot going on. We have a, a multiple point of views being covered in the in the story. You know, we have Bo's side of things, Bo Katan and her her forces. We have Din and Grogu together inside the compound. We have what's going on in orbit with Axe Woves. Uh, there's a lot happening in this episode. and It's, it's uh, fast-paced, intense, good action stuff, and really, really enjoyable. I think brings a, a really satisfying conclusion to Season 3 of The Mandalorian. You know, I know uh, for some people it's been sort of an up-and-down season with the Mando, but this episode I think really brings it all together. I think it sticks to landing, and it puts us in a good spot. Uh, for for season four to move forward, before we kind of dive into the episode in particular, though, I want I want to go back a little bit because, um, listen, let's just talk about it a little bit because 
there's been some between last week and this week's episode of the show. Uh, the, I I have seen countless what I like to just call just clickbaity articles about the Mandalorian and and what could happen here in the finale for season three. Most of them were variations of is the armorer going to betray the Mandalorian? Will Axe Woves betray the Mandalorian? None of those seemed to fit. I still wasn't 100% certain on Axe. I'll, I'll, I'll say it. Like, I thought there was a possibility that he might he might go rogue uh, because he doesn't didn't view Bo-Katan as a worthy uh, leader of the people. Um, so I, I didn't think that was out of the realm of possibilities. The armorer felt like a stretch. Not going to lie. But there, there's a lot of people read a lot of, into uh, the armorer's appearance, and, and that's a conversation for another day if they actually go anywhere with it. Uh, which I'm not so certain they will. The other big article, articles, I should say, that, that seem to uh, spread like wildfire across the internet, um, and not even articles, some of them were just uh, tweets. <laughs> like, no no facts to support, and just throw it out there in the world and see what happens. Was the, 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 mm, again, you can't even call it a rumor, because, I mean, it was just kind of clickbaity, right? But this this notion that there was a huge falling out on the set of the Mandalorian season three filming, uh, in, in which Pedro Pascal was very upset and very angry and, and had words with, with the creators behind the scenes and would be um, relieved of duties on this show, i.e. they were going to kill Din Djarin in the season three finale of the Mandalorian and shift our focus fully to, to Bo-Katan Kree's house Kree's and sort of the coming together of, of Mouth Mandalore, right? Uh, I didn't. I didn't go out publicly. You know, I didn't go on the on the internet to to refute these sort of things because a they seemed a they seemed. You know, like gossip mill, grist, clickbaity things. So like, why stoke those fires any further? I, I I had my own set of opinions on that rumor that they decided to start, and I'm happy to report that I like it when the internet is wrong. Uh, so. You know, these, these clickbait things, they're, they're designed to really sort of, you know, they, 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 mm, they're targeting you <laughs> and your, your interests and your passions, and they're trying to use them against you to, to, to read these sort of things and to get worked up. And I love it when these things blow up in your face, in, in, in their faces, the people who started these things. And hopefully we as an audience learn our lessons. I learned my lesson years ago on, on this sort of thing. Uh, to, to not get invested and involved in these sort of things because they just would upset me. Uh, I, I held my opinions. Sometimes my opinions are right. Sometimes my opinions are wrong. But in this case, I want to review some facts and, and put them out there to see, see what you all think. One reason why I did not have any belief in that idea that Din Djarin would be killed um, is because I'm not convinced Pedro Pascal was on the set of season three at all. <laughs> there, there is very little evidence to point to Din Djarin, uh, aka Pedro Pascal, being on set. It looks like it looks like it looked to me like a lot of the heavy lifting for, for Din Djarin was done by Brendan Wayne and Latif Crowder. Uh, particularly in this episode, Latif Crowder's uh, martial arts skills come in very, very handy. Um, and because because we we never see Dinjar remove his helmet like we did in, in at at various points. Um like we did in season one, like we did in season two. I I, I I thought there was a very real possibility that that Pedro Pascal was never even on set this year this season. 
Now, that could be wrong. It, it, it's very possible that he's in there at some point just doing his thing because he was, happened to be in L.A. But we know that Pedro Pascal is an insanely in-demand, busy actor right now. So I, th- I think that, uh, you know, you could, you could, it's a reasonable possibility that he was never even on, on the set. <laughs> and, and the other, the other uh, uh, idea that I had, the other thought in my brain that pre- precluded me from reading this article and getting invested in the idea that Pedro Pascal w- was leaving the show uh, was because that it felt to me like at some point the show would revert to what it always was before. Which was Din and Grogu, and you know, on on the in the outer territories, in the outer rim, uh, doing Star Warsy things in a much smaller fashion. We just had to get to this point. We had to get to uh, the Return of the Mandalores. We had to, we had to finish this arc, and then we'd reset and move forward. And by and large, that is exactly what happened in the season three finale. So, the internet is designed. <laughs> I feel like the internet these days is designed just to make us angry. So always be cautious when you when you see those kind of clickbait things uh, because more often than not, they are completely uh, false. I guess was, I'll, we'll just go with false. I, I don't want to say it's, it's being done in a malicious way or anything like that, but they, they want your clicks for whatever reasons, and um, it's not – you're not getting any news, right? It's it's gossip, it's 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 chit chat, it's idle chatter, it's speculation. Um, very few of these articles ever have any uh, cite, uh, sources worth citing, uh, and if they do cite a source, it's a shaky one at best. Uh, so that was somewhat amusing to see those rumors all week long, and then watch the finale, and and by the end, I'd be like, oh yeah, glad I didn't waste my time looking into that stuff. Holy totally, holy totally, what a waste of time that would have been. Anyways, so I'll take a small victory lap on that one. But yeah, I think it's time. Let's get into our episode proper. Let's talk about the season finale. Like I said, it's a lot a lot of things going on in it, a lot of action, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, things driving the story forward, um, and it's very fast. It's a very fast-paced episode of the show, too, so we're going to do our best to, to sort of hit on everything that we can uh, and hopefully do so in an entertaining fashion for you all. So let's go ahead and get our particulars out of the way for this episode. This is The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 8, Chapter 24, The Return. Original air date today, April 19th, 2023. Written by John Favreau. Directed by Brick Famuia, which I hope, sir, I'm getting your name close to being correct. I'm really going to work on that. I'm promising. Our principal cast this week, Pedro Pascal, Brendan Wayne, and Latif Crowder are The Mandalorian. Katie Sackoff is Bo-Katan Kreese. Giancarlo Esposito is Moff Gideon. Simon Cassianides is Axe Woves. Wesley Kimmel returns as Ragnar. Paul Sun Hung Lee returns as Captain Carson Teva. Charles Parnell is the Survivor Captain. Emily Swallow is the Armorer. Mercedes Vernado is Cosca Reeves. And uh, Carl Weathers returns as Grief Karga. So, our plot this week, it's, a, it's another stimulating one in the description. The Mandalorian and his allies confront their enemies. And boy, do they. What an epic confrontation it is and was. So I think we know what time it is. It is time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Sir, the fighters and bombers have launched. Their capital ship will soon be destroyed. But the Mandalorian has escaped. Shall we engage? No. 
I'll take care of him myself. So this episode basically picks up right where we left off last week. With Bo-Katan's forces in retreat, Din Djarin captured and being hauled away by Moff Gideon's super commandos. Uh, and, and things looking real bad because Moff Gideon had also just ordered the interceptors and the bombers to launch and destroy uh, the Mandalorian fleet in orbit above the planet. Things were not looking good for our heroes, uh, but as often the case with the cunning Mandalorian warriors, they turned the tables, and they turned them quickly. Uh, Bo's forces on the run, that's still happening, being pursued by the Super Commandos, Din Djarin being hauled away, and Din is able to turn the tables on his captors, get into a pretty sweet hand-to-hand uh, fight with these fellas, and <laughs> using knives, vibro blades, turning uh, the using basically the Super Commando's weapons against them, uh, the way he manipulates the bodies, flips them around, they're basically killing each other. Uh, it, it's, it's fantastically executed, well choreographed, and, and uh, one of the highlights for, for Latif Crowder doing, getting, getting to bring that level of physicality to the character finally. And, and nice to kind of see Din uh, in a position where he can <laughs> excel and, and sort of be like, hey, by the way, this is still my show. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, lo- I love seeing, seeing Din because we've seen Din get his butt whipped a little bit before, you know, kind of get smacked around and thrown around a bit. Uh, nice to see him assert himself in a very uh, dominant physical manner here. Uh, and in the, the assist from Grogu, it comes into play uh, again, sort of like we, we speculated a little bit last week on the show that that Grogu was not going to let his, his uh, protector be taken away. And I was, you know, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself with my terminology here. So nice to see Grogu step up, get involved in the action, and 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 Grogu gets in the mix a lot in this episode, which I think is a, a good sign for a character who's being uh, tutored in the ways of the Mandalorian. So Din's able to free himself in this with an assist from Grogu, a, a strong assist. Grogu comes in pretty darn handy on that one. Uh, and he's able to make contact with Bo's forces. And so now what this sort of means is that, that Bo's forces that are on the run uh, are attempting to escape the facility so they can regroup. But this now means that Bo has Din and Grogu on the inside. So they're able to sneak around the base. And the Din-Grogu story sort of falls along the lines of Episode Four: A New Hope because they're sneaking around the base. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to get this information. They also want to find Gideon as, as the Mandalorian sets up. It's time to stop running. It's time to, to face the person who's put us in this position for a long time now. Uh, and to make it more like episode four, New Hope, uh, is we get an assist from R5-D4, who, yeah, I guess I knew all along he was on the planet. Because <laughs> uh, Din makes the, makes the call, and, and it strongly encourages R5-D4 to, 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 you know, <laughs> I was going to say something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose a different word. <laughs> but to, to sort of step up. And, and, and be the hero of the Republic that he is, is known to be, right? So he kind of takes on the R2-D2 role where he's going he's gonna to scomp in and start opening doors and hatches, and, and there's the great sequence with the, with the energy barriers. We'll get to that in, the, in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, the, that particular storyline becomes very much uh, like Episode Four, and uh, it's kind of fun in that way, right, with, with Grogu and Din sneaking around the base. Um, <laughs> a great sequence early in this episode as we kind of get past the title card is, is going is, and seeing the interceptors and the bombers launch from the base on Mandalore to go and attack the Mandalorian fleet in orbit. Uh, I just think it's a cool visual. I think it looks really, really fun. It's nice to see the way those ships are deployed. And the interceptors are such a cool design. I've always been a big fan of the TIE Interceptor. 
So uh, seeing them launch on the base and shoot out from that, that canyon, uh, I just thought it was pretty awesome. It looked really, really cool. Uh, Bo-Katan's gotten a hold of Axe-Woves at this point, Axe at this point uh, to let him know the plan that the, get the bombers and the interceptors uh, are on, in route, that the fleet is in danger, and that she wants to use the light cruiser as a decoy while the main Mandalorian forces uh, deploy to the surface of the planet to reinforce them against the super commandos. Uh, and and Axe-Woves, again, rumors of him being the betrayer, uh, someone who would, who would uh, sell out the Mandalorians for, to, for, to the Empire. Uh, that didn't come to pass. And Axe, uh, I, I love the way, I think, I think he gets a nice little arc in this episode uh, just because he's very determined, very uh, uh, motivated, uh, and there's a lot going on for Axe-Woves in, in the sense that uh, once he gets the Mandalorians to leave the ship, it, you're sort of wondering, is this the point where we turn on, on our forces? But no, no, no. The Imperials commence the attack, and you realize that uh, uh, Imperial cruisers, when there's uh, just one person on board, not quite as powerful as you might think they are uh, against uh, interceptors and TIE bombers. Uh, so th they don't go well. It doesn't fare well for, for Axe, and we wonder if he's making uh, the noble sacrifice the way that Paz Vizsla did uh, in the episode before. Uh, but Axe has other plans, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. One of the cool parts before, before that attack begins, though, on, on the light cruiser is I loved the Mandalorians leaving the light cruiser from like the low orbit and using their jetpacks to descend into... Uh, the landing ships. I thought that was freaking cool as all get out. I love that visual. Uh, just another uh, really nice visual touch in this episode that is full of really nice visual touches. So yeah, pay attention to, to that sequence because I just I thought that was a cool bit. Them exiting the light cruiser from low orbit and getting on those those the landing craft, the bombers or the, not bombers the the, <laughs> the com crack comric class ships. Jeez Louise, I'm. The struggle bus is real right now, folks. I'm sorry about that. So for Din and Grogu at this point, in their, in their investigation of the Moff Gideon's base here on Mandalore, uh, again, like I said, it's a lot like, you know, echoes of episode four in this one. And that's really, I think it's a really nice touch, and to, to, be, to be perfectly fair. Uh, we get to sort of revisit a lot of the scenes, scenery, the backgrounds, uh, environments that we saw Moff Gideon in when we first walked with him through his base, right? Uh, basically from that moment in the opening of last episode when he is on the, 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 the holocom with his spy in the Republic. And uh, once he starts off that communication, we follow him through these various chambers in his base. Uh, and now Din and Grogu are following in those, those very same footsteps. So we're working through the same chambers. Um, the energy barrier sequence is what I'm coming up to. And I was, again, another just really impressive action sequence. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things always said about The Mandalorian is that it's sort of, oh, a lot of times it's video game based, you know, side quests and, and leveling up and blah, blah, blah. We use a lot of that video game terminology. Or some people use a lot of that video game terminology when they're describing the show. Uh, and the barrier sequence, uh, you know, it is a little video game-esque, but it's also really well done because it's Din using R5-D4's ability to scomp in and, and manipulate the barriers at, a, at his leisure, right? So that he controls the action. He controls who he's going up against. And again, it's, it's sort of as he advances, taking the weapons of the, the, the super commandos and using them against them, ultimately getting up to the point where he has to have, have shields in place uh, as the barriers are opening and closing uh, at R5-D4's beck and call. And then R5-D4 runs into the ROMs too as he catches the attention of Imperial Mouse droids uh, and has to kind of fend them off 
so that he can engage the scomp and, and, and do what Mando needs him to do to advance further into Moff Gideon's lair. Uh, again, it's, it's a really great sequence. I look forward to rewatching it again after I record this podcast because it was a hoot. Uh, <laughs> where we go next is now we get inside the facility where we saw those clones before. Uh, we Again, Moff Gideon walked through this chamber last week, and we saw the tanks, the cloning tanks that were in place. We couldn't quite see who was in them, but now we get a look, and we see the face of Moff Gideon himself, and we... No, we, we wonder, <laughs> now we wonder, what exactly is Moff Gideon's plan here? Is this sort of like a security blanket for himself? Uh, if something happens to his body, does it, you know, would there be like a mind transference so he can sort of like perpetuate his, his life his lifespan? Or, or what's going on here? Well, he's going to give us an answer to that in just a moment. But first, Din and Grogu have to blow up all those cloning cylinders and, and eliminate the clones. Uh, this does not... This does not work for Moff Gideon, and Moff Gideon is more than happy to uh, do a little monologue for us, fill us in on some blanks, and connect some dots that go all the way back to season one of the show. So let's turn it over to Moff Gideon and let him give us all that vital, vital plot information. My clothes were finally going to be perfect. The best parts of me, but improved by adding the one thing I never had. The Force. I was isolating the potential to wield the Force and incorporating it into an unstoppable army. And you smothered them before they could draw their first breath. I'm not sure smothered's the word I'd use there, Moff Gideon. Maybe like blowed up real good would be the, the preferred terminology there, <laughs> or at the very least blew out their tanks before they could uh, uh, fully ma mature, I, I suppose is the word we want to use there. But anyways, this launches us into the next great battle sequence of the episode, Din Djarin versus Moff Gideon all armored up. And it's a fun one, but Moff Gideon, as is you know the Imperial prerogative, uh, they don't play by the rules. So the, he also brings out those three Praetorian guards who ended Paz Vizsla last week, and he's going to sick them on Din Djarin. That's a pretty unfair fight right there. And it's at this point that, that Grogu in his, uh, his mech suit, IG-12, uh, decides to intercede and, and, and come, to Din Gro come to Din Djarin's aid against the Praetorian Guards, which I, I feel is a, is a massive mismatch. Three Praetorian Guards versus Grogu in uh, a sort of a stumbly, clumsy... IG-12, you know, uh, a, a mech version of IG-12 without all the fun weaponry going on. Um, that sort of would be, in my mind, a bit of a mismatch. But Grogu is, is, is crafty in this episode. Grogu is more assertive in this episode and does just enough, even when it looks like the IG suit is coming to uh, its end of, end of usefulness, as, as predicted on this podcast last week. Uh, uh, Grogu still finds a way to... Uh, avail himself of the force and and make himself a difficult target uh, for these highly skilled Praetorian guards uh, before Din can come to his aid. Uh, and Din's able to do that because uh, uh, Katie Sackoff and her forces eventually will get back into the mix here, right? Uh, and that's <laughs> that's going to be really cool stuff too. We didn't even we haven't talked about what led the the, the incidents leading up to this, right? where let, let's let's go back a little bit 
to Bo-Katan's forces, right? On the run, they make it out of the facility. They're going to regroup themselves. They find themselves in these caverns. Uh, and the caverns are green and lush and full of flora and fauna, which nobody knew was possible on Mandalore anymore. You know, for a long time, after the Mandalorian Civil Wars, it was believed that the planet was, was its surface was basically dead. They lived in those giant dome cities because nothing could live on the surface anymore. Uh, but like in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. The, the, the Mandalorian survivors who survived the Night of a Thousand Tears, who stayed behind on Mandalore that entire time, uh, the one Charles Purnell plays and, and his, his forces, the ragtag Mandalorians, uh, they find they found a way to cultivate the the samples that they they found sporadically across the surface, and they they became farmers and gardeners and 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 brought life to Mandalore to this lifeless what was a seemingly lifeless world, uh, and I think for Bogotan it's it's another it's another sign of 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 hope for her planet for her people that uh, the world will once again be able to provide for them as well, uh, and so now it's time for them to spring back into action, uh, because the the call comes in that the Mandalorian forces are en route from low orbit, and now it's time to spring into action against the Super Commandos and head back into the, the cavern. And what we get in this sequence is just really phenomenal aerial combat of the jetpack variety. They've been teasing this you know, off and on throughout the season, seeing the jetpacks in action on the Mandalorians. Uh, but this time it's like a full-on battle. You know, They fly into combat against the Super Commandos, Bo-Katan fires up the Darksaber. Uh, the armorer still has got her rad hammers. Uh, and, and you get to see her use them. You know, you're like, what's that going to do against a bunch of guys with blasters? But uh, uh, the armorer handles herself uh, quite well with, with her tools of the trade. Uh, and it's, a good, again, another really strong action sequence in an episode packed full of really strong action sequences. So that's going on above as Gideon and, and Jaren square off against each other. And it's when Bo-Katan realizes what's happening beneath her that she springs into action because, again, Din is in trouble. The Praetorians have him on the ropes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's looking bad, looking real bad. So Bo-Katan arrives, and it's going to be – that's when it looks like it's going to be all good for our heroes, right? Not so fast, my friends. So now the fight changes – uh, it's it's patterns, right? Moff Gideon versus Bo-Katan in the Darksaber. Uh, uh, sort of like a, the, the revenge match for, for Bo-Katan Kreese here. Uh, she's going to get to square off against Moff Gideon, do what she probably should have done the first time around, right? Not surrender. Fight. Fight for Mandalore. Meanwhile, Din Djarin springs after, springs up and heads up after Grogu, who's in that chamber, dodging the Praetorian guards now. And Din's going to square off against three Praetorian guards by himself. But this time, he's going to get some force assists from Grogu, it comes in pretty darn handy and is going to allow Din to get the upper hand on those Praetorian guards. And it's a great, again, another great sequence. You're going to hear me say that a lot on this episode if I haven't already said it too much because this episode is packed with them. Uh, and underscoring these awesome fights is is the musical score provided by John Shirley, who is just lights out in this episode. Uh, really, really well done. Underlying just the 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 intensity, the urgency of all the battles, all the combat going on. Uh, it's just, again, just a really well-executed episode, and these action sequences uh, are, are thoroughly enjoyable, thoroughly engaging, and, and, and anyone in the audience who's not enjoying these, you're just looking for things to not like. That's my two cents on that. Meanwhile, Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon are engaged in 
serious fisticuffs, and things are about to get taken to a place that I did not see coming at all. Let's go ahead and put on the audio. You'll hear the combat sounds, but then you'll get the voice, the, the, the main dialogue that you need. The dark saber is gone. You've lost everything. Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets. Mandalorians are stronger together. All right, now we get into the great action. But let's go. Let's let's pause. Let's put a pin in that real quick before we go back to the crazy intense action. As Din and Grogu joined the fray against Moff Gideon, uh, yes, indeed, that happened. Moff Gideon, with his uh, his Dark Trooper empowered Beskar armor, crushes the Dark Saber. I'm assuming shattering the Kyber crystal inside, bending the hilt uh, uh, out of all recognition, uh, and and now takes like a major piece of of not just Mandalorian but like Star Wars lore off the table. And I was. Rather surprised to see that be the move. Now, I say that, and we, we lightsabers are repairable. Lightsabers are replaceable. But is the Darksaber? I mean, the Darksaber is insanely unique. Um, but it, I, would not be, I would not be surprised to see it reforged somehow, some way down the road at some point. Uh, because we all know the power of symbols, right? And the Darksaber is not only a powerful symbol, but it's also a powerful weapon. Uh, and and it may come in handy down the road. We'll see. Like the the state of Mandalore seems to be in a good place by the end of this episode. Uh, but I'd be surprised if the dark saber wasn't reforged at some point. I don't know. I could be I could be reading way much into way more into it because I'm just a fan of the dark saber and like the idea that it was just crushed and thrown to the side, but like that kind of bums me out a little bit. Uh, we like. I, I think we as a, as, as a people. And not just Star Wars fans. I think we sort of like the idea of these um, powerful weapons, right? Like these, like legacy type weapons. Like you know, we, we so many of us love the story of Excalibur. Uh, the dark saber sort of like that, right? It sort of has that same kind of mythology and history and connections to it, right? All this lore around it. Uh, so to see it sort of broken in such a fashion and, and thrown away, so I don't know. Not as dramatically as I would have liked, I suppose. Maybe, maybe that's sort of like where I'm coming from. Is like, if the dark saber is going to be destroyed and ended, I, I would have liked it to be a little bit more impactful uh, on the, on the the people as a whole, you know. But uh, but let let's see. I mean, you know, we saw in the Ahsoka trailer that uh, the the legendary droid forge uh, lightsaber forging droid of the Jedi Hoang is still around. So maybe uh, maybe he could be recruited to. Uh, repair the dark saber. Who knows? I, you know, I guess I don't know. It's, it was an interesting call uh, in in the, in the episode. And if it was anything I had to quibble about in this episode, it was the dispatching of the dark saber. Uh, but as Bo Katan says, and you know, maybe that's why they destroyed it because like Moff Gideon has this perception that Mandalorians without trinkets uh, are are powerless and and weak. Uh, and and Bo Katan for the last several. Uh, episodes have has been 
maintain the Mandalorians are stronger together, and that's what needs to change because that's what the Empire did, right? They div divided the people. It kept the Mandalorians away from each other. So they were weaker as a whole than they ever could have been if they stood together. You know, they were factioned. They were, they were broken up into pieces. Uh, the, and it goes all the way back to the Clone Wars when, when, when Maul and the Shadow Collective took over. And we'll be getting into those episodes coming up here when we start rewatching the Clone Wars again. Uh, but her message, you know, comes to bear as as Din Djarin comes around the corner, guns a blazing, Grogu in tow, and it's time to give Moff Gideon his just desserts. Uh, and as this battle goes back and forth again, it's a it's really great. It's good stuff. It's intense and awesome and rad. Uh, and and as it's all happening, Axe Woves is plummeting the Imperial light cruiser they had captured straight to Moff Gideon's base uh, before he's gonna. Jump out the side window with his with his handy jetpack. Oh, those Mandalorians with their handy jetpacks. Uh, and and basically, this is a, the end of Moff Gideon? Question mark. As the light cruiser impacts, and and Moff Gideon would seem to go up, getting incinerated in the, in the blaze of glory. But is he? We don't see his body. We never find a body. We never find the remains of of, of Gideon and his his Beskar armored self. So is he dead or is he just severely cooked? Like a, like, a little, like a turkey in that Beskar. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and find out if that's the case or not. Uh, but more importantly, as the ship is erupting into a fireball and into the, the hangar space in which they were battling, uh, once again, Grogu steps up and, and uses his force shielding to protect Din and Bo-Katan uh, from the flames of the exploding uh, <laughs> Imperial ship around them. Uh, and again, it's you know it, it's it's a move we've seen before, but uh, this is why. It, it's, this, this, but does that make it less powerful? I mean, one of the comments I saw on the internet was like, "Oh, we saw him do that in season one." It's like, okay, it's still kind of a cool trick to have in your back pocket, though. I mean, <laughs> like you need you, sometimes you need to do the same thing again. You know, fire is fire, and being shielded from it's pretty darn handy. Uh, so so that's what Grogu does. Grogu shields Bo-Katan and and Din Djarin, and apparently. They save the day, right? Because this is the end of Moff Gideon's forces. The Mandalorians have won. They have retaken the planet. It is the return of the Mandalorians. And it is... It's great. It's pretty darn awesome. A million years ago, you know, I don't... I don't think... How do I say this delicately, right? I spent a lot of time this morning reading some of the reviews, positive and negative on this episode of, of The Mandalorian, just because I wanted to have sort of a well-rounded opinion idea of what people are thinking in general. And as usual, the episode has many fans, uh, you know, clapping and cheering and, and throwing their hands up and loving it, like, me, I, like myself. And then I saw many reviews that were sort of saying, oh, they took the easy way. They took the, they did this, X, they did X, Y, and Z, and it was all this, like, simple solutions to the, the problems instead of, you know, kind of pulling things apart and, and expanding on things and, and, and I get what, what I'm trying to say is like a lot of the reviews that were negative wanted the show to become something that it's not. And I think that's something that's very difficult for star Wars in this day and age. You can't have star Wars, not be star Wars. And at the end of the day, star Wars is an adventure story. It's a family adventure story that you can watch with your kids. And that's what you got today. And you got it to the tens. I think, I think this episode delivered all the goods like yeah, sure. You maybe you want like a little bit more 
uh, dramatic gravitas in the, in the scenarios and the situations. Maybe you would like to see the battle for Mandalore play out over an entire season, like as an episode, of, like like as a season of Game of Thrones or something like that. And as much as I'd be into that as a Star Wars fan, as a as a Mandalorian enthusiast, um, that's not Star Wars at its core. Um, and it's 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 I think it's important that we always remember that that Star Wars is is sort of the the, the approachable family show, right? And like. Star Wars is for everyone, you know, and we got those darker corners like Andor that, that kind of are, are pulling back layers and looking at things in a very complex, grounded way. But Star Wars is always going to be a, a, a space fantasy show, right? I mean, let's never forget that. And, and maybe then we won't be so uh, bummed out that it didn't go off into like this, this, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, George R. R. Martin kind of direction where like our characters are betraying each other and, 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 Ring each other's skin around to suits. Uh, let's let's not take Star Wars in that, in that direction necessarily. At least not this show. This is still the Mandalorian. This show's always going to be true to itself. It got big this season. The return of the Mandalorians. The the retaking of Mandalore from the Empire. Like these are big things. And this is a storyline that again I don't think any of us thought we would ever see because so many things were were stacked up against Star Wars TV shows 10, 15 years ago that we never thought that we'd see this play out. And now we got to. And it's awesome, and it's great. Uh, and, and we need to remember that. I, I, I think it's important that we remember that. Like, I, it's, it's easy to, to look at the world we live in now and like, as far as like the technology, the streaming services, all these avenues we have where, where IP will never die and we will continually kind of get what we want because these companies, this is how they want to make their money, right? They want to play off of our, our love of things. Um, but if they remember to stay true to what Star Wars is at the core, I, I, I'll always be happy. And it's, it's – I'm not even to the end of the episode yet. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already doing this defense thing. Like, it's, it's insane. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to go down that road. There's a lot of things I could say about The Mandalorian as far as like the way it's, it's handled and written and, and, and run. But at its core, it is still – like the most pure Star Wars thing we've gotten in quite some time. And I think that is the underlying thing that we have to remember moving forward. Uh, so now we move into the epilogue phase of this episode. And we're going to go to the Minds of Mandalore. So we're back in the Minds of Mandalore. And I'm not quite clear on why uh, Ragnar sort of being rechristened in, in the waters. Except maybe that, like, maybe he requested to because it's the actual waters in the Minds of Mandalore. Uh, and that's that's different. That's more powerful for him and and he's, he's re basically being recursion this time with the helmet and perhaps as a, as a way to honor his father paz Vizla, who we saw die in last week's episode of the show um but what happens next is again sort of an interesting <laughs> element of it. it sort of shows another little wrinkle of the mandalorian foundling uh relationship that maybe we didn't have an answer to because i i'm going to play the sequence here in a minute but I don't, I don't think for a single second any of us in the audience didn't already think of Din Djarin as Grogu's adopted father. But I guess they had to make it official. So let's go ahead and play the sequence. Grogu is my apprentice. He is no longer a foundling. Add him to the song. He is too young to speak, so he is too young to take the creed. He must remain a foundling. If his parent gave permission, 
Couldn't he then become a Mandalorian apprentice? Yes, but his parents are far from here. If they're even alive. Then I will adopt him as my own. This is the way. This is the way. Let it be written in song that Din Djarin is accepting this foundling as his son. You are now Din Grogu, Mandalorian apprentice. This is the way. must leave Mandalore and take your apprentice on his journeys, just as your teacher did for you. This is the way. All right. So a lot of information in there. But, yeah, this is, this is what I talked about earlier. This is the resetting of the Mandalorian show, right? This is – we have completed this massive retaking of Mandalore arc. The, the, the coverts – are united in their home on the planet. The night owls and those who fled the planet and the night of a thousand tears are back. The Mandalorians have retaken their world and now they can begin the healing process of the planet and of their culture, of their people. And that's a really nice thing, right? That's good. This is a good thing. Now, again, I sort of, <laughs> I have questions. Again, like I said, I don't think many of us didn't already think of Din Djarin as Grogu's adopted father, but I guess they had to make it official. Uh, so that's what happened there. Uh, and then the, the, the naming is strange as well. Uh, cause I would have thought it would be Grogu Jarin instead of, uh, uh, Din Grogu. It's, it's Clan Krees of Bo, you know, like Bo-Katan Krees, Clan Krees. So like you would have thought the surname thing would have been a little bit different, but maybe that's part of the apprenticing. Uh, like maybe at a certain point he'll become Grogu Jaren after this next level? I don't, <laughs> I don't know how it works, and we don't get an answer. But it's put right there on Front Street. The, the armor says it. All right, cool. Well, now that he's officially, you know, your practice, your, your apprentice, and he's, you know, t you know kind of taking the creed in, in, that, in that regard, uh, it's time for the next, uh, next part of his training, which is going on his journeys, being out in the galaxy and doing a variety of different things and learning – more about the Mandalorian way and learning more about the galaxy at large. So again, we, now we have sort of reset the show to back to season one in a sense where like it'll be planet to planet, adventure to adventure, tracking down enemies. But what kind of enemies would, would Din Djarin be looking for? Will he go back to his regular old bounty hunting ways? Or now that he has Grogu in tow, are things a little bit different now? Have things changed? Hmm... Well, Din has an idea about that. He's going to go head over to a Delphi base and talk to our good friend Carson Teva about that right now. But before that can happen, we have to have a big fancy ceremony to relight the Great Forge. Din Djarin, the armor, and this is sort of, again, sort of the, the, the forging of their, the people again, right? Like this is sort of the, the big metaphor, right? The Great Forge is reunited and the people are forged together once again. So the return of the Mandalores is complete now. Uh, and we cut over. It's a great sequence. It's it's really nice. It's really powerful. Uh, if if you're if you're as tuned into the lore as some of us are, uh, so I really like that moment. 
it kind of it kind of seals everything in place, right? Uh, so now we'll cut over to a Delphi base, meet up with our good friend Carson Teva, uh, as as the Mandalorian has a proposition for him. Let me buy you a drink, Mando. Thanks, but I'm here on business. We really appreciate what you did. You made our jobs a lot easier. We've both been chasing Moff Gideon. You would have gotten him eventually. I just got there first. <laughs> Your kid sure likes the trophies. It's not him, kid. One of them reminds him of someone he knew. I have a business proposition. Shoot. This youngling is my apprentice. What does that have to do with me? I'm a bounty hunter by trade. Now that he's with me, I'll be more selective in my assignments. Go on. You don't have the resources to protect the Outer Rim, let alone hunt down Imperial remnants. And I need work. Let me get this straight. You want to work for the New Republic? On a case-by-case -case basis. An independent contractor. You know, this is against regulation. It'll never get approved. Which is why you won't tell them. Let me think about it. You already did. It's a good deal and you know it. Is that so? All I require is a small advance. What I want in return is that. A scrap assassin droid head? I need it for parts. Well, there we go. So that answers that, right? <laughs> I, I, I have questions about Mandalor Mando's plan here. You know, again, Carson Teva puts it out there that the New Republic is never going to go for this. Never, they're never going to support this. So how exactly is Mando going to get paid? Is like Carson Teva going to have like a slush fund somewhere that he's like, you know, got, he's he's running like a sort of like a, a game within a game uh, with Republic forces, which again we saw the level of corruption going on in the New Republic. I I could, I'm sure he could make a phone call and <laughs> and have someone divert funds to pay a bounty hunter off the books to 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 capture Imperial remnants and and pirates and things of that nature. Again, Mando's gonna be very selective. He said that as much. He said that right there. Again, I do, I, but I have sort of some some questions about the arrangement. Um, what I took from the scene too, and I, I I have to go back to whatever it was. I think it was episode uh, six of the season uh, where we first go to a Delphi base because I need to look at that bar again in that episode versus this episode. I didn't notice. I saw the stormtrooper helmets. I didn't notice all the droid heads they had in there as well. Uh, and we got a lot more shots of, of featuring the details of, of some of the helmets in place too. So. Uh, some really cool-looking stormtrooper helmets, some droid heads in there. Uh, the, the the centerpiece around the bar is the head of a or the the top of a imperial probe droid. That was really cool to see. Uh, and of course, they just happen to have an IG head <laughs> amongst the trophies, and that's going to come in pretty handy because they need that part that, that that no one seems to have access to, so that we can bring our friend back and go back to one of our dangling prot threads from episode one of this season, and that is the reactivation of IG-11, uh, who Din Djarin will now gift to Grief Karga and the people of Navarro as their new marshal. Uh, so that's kind of a fun return for IG-11. 
as now the protector of Navarro. You know, he had that statue out of, of, of him in the first episode as sort of like thanking them for, for removing the Imperial presence on Navarro that allowed them to kind of grow and flourish in this way. Uh, now he's reactivated with the help of the Anzellans that are on Navarro. And, and Grief Karga is thankful to have his marshal finally, right? I don't know how he's going to do against the next group of uh, pirates that invade, but IG-11, if, if he's fully operational with his weapon systems in place, uh, formidable, formidable if, if pirates do try to come back. Though I do think you need some sort of aerial defense force, but or at the very least like some ion cannons. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Speculation. Uh, and, and this also sets up Grief giving uh, a plot of land to Din Djarin, like he suggested back in, in episode one of this season, uh, so that when they're between adventures, Din and Grogu have a place to, to kind of lay low and have quality family time. Uh, and this kind of takes us back to our Western motif, right? Like they're out on the range, uh, the old homestead, uh, throwing his feet up on the porch, watching his kid play with uh, using the force to play with frogs. Uh, and, and that's sort of how we end the season, right? Like the, the tables have been reset uh, for the show moving forward. Navarro's in a new place uh, with IG-11 as his constable. The Mandalore has been retaken. The Mandalorians are united together to rebuild their people, their culture, their society. Uh, and, and Din Djarin is now out in the galaxy with Grogu uh, as uh, his, 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 you know, for training. They're going to be on missions. They're going to go on quests. They're going to be doing things to uh, make Grogu a more well-rounded Mandalorian. Uh, I mean, it's awesome. Like, I, I think this paves the way for a lot of fun new ideas. We've, we sort of have completed our Mandalorian stuff, and now we can uh, cover new, new avenues of the Star Wars galaxy and get a lot more uh, you know, adventure-based stuff going on. Now, how does this tie into... Uh, What's going to happen with, with Dave Filoni's Mandalorian movie? I don't know. Again, again, word before the season came out was that season four of The Mandalorian had been written. As far as I know, uh, it's, it's not necessarily like a go to start filming that in the immediate future. But I would think that that's in place. They filmed another season of The Mandalorian, then they do a Mandalorian movie to kind of close the Mandoverse out. Because if there's going to be a movie to close it out, I would imagine at some point... Uh, the adventures that Din and Grogu go on next have to sort of dovetail back into things. At the very least, sort of like lay some track for, for what's going to be in that film. But that's just speculation on this part, on my part. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see uh, for more official word. I mean, I think this show could go on for quite some time. Like, there was no ETA set up on when that Dave Filoni's Mandalorian movie was going to come out. You know, we, we, we know that the, the Ray movie is probably going to be the first one out in 2025. We don't know the timeline on Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie. We don't know the timeline on Dawn of the Jedi necessarily. So, I mean, there could still be several more seasons of The Mandalorian to come. It, I, th I think for Disney, it's just a cost evaluation situation uh, where, you know, we're already paying for Disney Plus. Uh, so they already got our money. So they need to figure out how to get more money. So maybe the movie comes out sooner. Maybe it comes out after another season. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I again, I liked that the decks are sort of cleared. Things are sort of reset. Is Moff Gideon really dead? I don't know. Nobody. Uh, nobody means I don't believe that. <laughs> I like to see a dead body if I'm going to suspect that, that we're done with this character. Um, what's going on with the Darksaber? You know, is it is it off the table completely now? Is it as is it, is it done? No more. We don't talk about this. I, I don't know. But it does it does seem like the 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 next 
season, the next adventures, the next time we see Din and Grogu uh, will be less mythology-based, more of the the original premise of the show, like the you know the gunfighter and the gunslinger in the old west kind of thing. Uh, this time with his apprentice in tow and his apprentice slash son in tow, and I'm here for it. I'm down for all of it. It sounds awesome. I'm really happy with the way the season landed. Again, there was it, it got a little wonky in places, but the, the the show has always done that where it takes us on different adventures and it sort of takes different tones and it pays homage to different elements of uh, the creative people involved's past. You know, like they wanted to do a procedural, so they did a procedural with with Din and Bo. You know, going around figuring out what's making those droids go crazy. The show's always been like that. So when people get mad about it, I don't know if they're just not paying attention to what's going on around them. That's sort of my two cents on that particular topic. But I give this season finale, it's intense, it's full of action, uh, great job on the scoring, the music, the whole, the, the music, music and scoring are the same thing. The acting, the performances, I think it all delivers the goods. This is Nine Buckets. Very happy with the way this, this season ended. You know, I, I know some people are, are already upset that there wasn't some big Star Wars connection to ten different things. But uh, I, I'm definitely okay with it. It was going to be pretty hard to top Luke Skywalker returning, so I'm glad they didn't even try. Uh, I, I, I like the distinct focus on the Mandalorians. You know, the, I, I sort of entertained the notion that the New Republic would swoop in, Teva and his forces would, would show up to aid them against the Empire. That didn't happen. So, no, I'm kind of glad they kept it focused and let the Mandalorians solve their problems without the aid of the New Republic, without them having to feel indebted to the New Republic. Because, again, they're probably going to want to be an independent system like they were back in the Clone Wars. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with the, with the Mandalorians moving forward. At some point, I'm sure we'll get information about that, whether it's in Season 4 or in some other form, format of storytelling. We'll find out. Um, but this episode nails it. I loved this episode. I hope you did too. Let me know what you thought. You know where to find me. Hit me up on the social media. It's at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, and sharing the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. And if you want to support the show in another way, those sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews are so insanely helpful. Well, I did it again. I thought this show would be like 40 minutes long, and now we're closing in on 55. So... Uh, just like Sammy Hagar, I can't drive 55, but this podcast may have to stop at 55 because I'm, I'm done talking. All right, my friends, we'll be back very, very soon. I believe we may do an entire postmortem on The Mandalorian this season, or we may just go back into, right into Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Uh, that is TBD. I will be uh, reaching out to some of our trusted friends and colleagues to see what should happen next. All right. Thank you to all you members of Buckethead Nation. You are all the best people in the world. I appreciate your support downloading the show, sharing it on social media, doing all those things. Buckethead Nation is growing, thriving, and always getting stronger. So I truly, truly appreciate all of you out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get out of here. Let's call it a day. But remember, this podcast only ends one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. I would like to see the baby.